listening to the teaching of Doxa Church. Doxa is located in Spartanburg, South Carolina, and our mission is to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. Well, if you want to take your Bible and turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. We are starting a new series called Awake with Hope from this letter. And we're going to go through 2 Thessalonians as well because they flow right together. And I'm very excited about this new series. This letter is full of good stuff. Um, It's just loaded. It teaches us the correct way to find God's will. It continually reminds us of the proper motivations that we should be having to inspire us to serve and love others. It comforts the grieving, and it consistently points us back to the return of our Savior Jesus Christ, the second coming of Jesus Christ. It does all those things, and we're going to unpack all those things as we go along in this series. But this morning, I'm going to get the ball rolling and show you from 1 Thessalonians 1 exactly what you need to become the type of person that is bold and confident and stands out through your faith in Jesus Christ. That sounds like a, a very exciting motivational thing, right? But, but that is the message that we see here at the beginning of 1 Thessalonians. So before we do that, though, I do need to explain to you where this letter is coming from, who's it from, who's it to, and why it's so valuable for you. So 1 Thessalonians 1.1 says this, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We're going to stop right there because most of us know who Paul the Apostle is, right? Notice Paul actually is really friendly with them just, just at the beginning. He doesn't even give his title. He doesn't really give any credentials. It's just Paul. Paul to the church of the Thessalonians. This is a very interesting greeting because none of the other New Testament epistles are quite like this. But Paul is talking to this church. Now, if you've been in this church for a while, uh, maybe even if you haven't been in this church, if you know anything about the New Testament, you probably have heard of the Apostle Paul. He was a Jewish Pharisee who was a persecutor of the New Testament church. Jesus Christ met him on the road to Damascus and Jesus Christ The risen Christ revealed himself and said, Paul, stop kicking against the pricks. (laughs) Jesus called him out, saved Paul, and Paul became the apostle to the Gentiles. Thessalonians would have been one of these churches that, that Paul started a church in their city. Now, that's Paul. We know a lot about him. You're probably not as familiar with the church at Thessalonica. Maybe you are, maybe you aren't. But we actually have an entire book of the Bible that gives us the inception story of the church at Thessalonica. And it's a riveting read. It's it's an action-packed read. And I thought about summarizing it for you, but I thought, you know what? What better way to really start this series in Thessalonians than actually read for ourselves from Acts 17 how this church got started. So... If you would, turn back with me to the book of Acts, 
And we're going to read the first 15 verses here and see how this church began. Acts 17, verse 1. This is Paul when he's on his missionary journey. Now, when they had passed through Amphilus and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And this is what Paul would always do. He would, he would find a city, he would first find the synagogue, and he would start there. Verse 2, and Paul went in, as was his custom, and there, three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures. So three Sabbaths means he was there for three weeks. And specifically, his prime teaching time, uh, that he wasn't individually talking with people, I'm sure, was on the Sabbath at the synagogue, explaining and proving what it, what it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead and saying, this Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. Those words there, explaining, it's, it's actually a, a medical term that means to pry open. It's like you're prying open the mind. And, and then the proving point is he's persuading. He's, ex, he's, he's actually giving them all of these true reasons why Jesus Christ was the Messiah. Verse 4, and some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women. So that's great. What a diverse crowd, right? We have some of the Jews that lived here in Thessalonica. They received the Messiah. We have some devout Greeks who were living in this Greek city. Devout means they would have been a God-fearing person. They probably didn't just worship the plethora of gods, but they, they were actually already interested in the Hebrew God. They believed in Jesus Christ. And then we have these leading women. So these are wealthy, successful businesswomen, most likely, that also trusted Jesus Christ. Verse five, you have great victory. And what comes from that? Well, it's the right message. This is amazing. Things are happening. Verse 5, you would think the next verse should be exciting, right? Well, actually, opposition comes, which is quite often the case. Verse 5, but the Jews were jealous, and taking some of the wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob and set the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out of the crowd. So yes, you have these Jews who did not trust that Jesus was the Messiah. They were jealous of all the amazing things going on, and they got these men of rabble. You, know, you always have that bad crowd, right, who are just ready to be paid off. So we have a rent-a-mob now, and if you thought Twitter was the only place you could get a rent-a-mob, no, this is not a new thing. This has always been going on. They are trying to get Paul and Silas and kick them out of town. Verse 6, and when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason has received them, and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. I love right here that even the protest is a crystal clear presentation of King Jesus. Okay, how clear was their message? 
that even the protesters who just got hired to stir up a problem are like, here's this King Jesus, another king against Caesar. Verse 8, and the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. Okay, again, not, not many things change, right? We still have bribery. We, all these things are going on. Verse 10, and the brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now, these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. These Jews received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them therefore believed with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. Verse 13, but when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea, also they came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. These guys won't give it up. Verse 14, then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea, but Silas and Timothy remained there. Those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens, and after receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. So he kept Silas and Timothy in hiding there for a little while longer at Thessalonica. I would say this is an amazing beginning to this church at Thessalonica and also a very uh, conflicted beginning, right? There's a lot of affliction here. There's some, there's some trials here. You had this angry mob of people stirred up by the Jews, and then those Jews went back to Thessalonica, their home, and those same Thessalonican new believers had to deal with these people who were against them, who were jealous of them. So, it's, so it starts off great, gets really negative, and now Paul's words to the Thessalonians, you're going to see, are incredibly positive. So turn back with me to 1 Thessalonians. Now that we understand the background of, of what's going on, this letter would have been written about a year afterwards, not, not even much, you know, maybe not even quite a year after all that happened in Acts 17. This is around 50, 51 AD. This is pretty early on. And the city of Thessalonica was a gorgeous city. Uh, when you think of pristine, beautiful, like beachfront property in Greece, well, Thessalonica is one of those cities. It was one of the number one cities, okay? The Olympics were held there once. Uh, there's this beautiful natural gulf just lined with, lined with beaches. It was on the main route from like Rome to the Orient, so you had a lot of travel. There was a lot of businesses, very affluent city. Everything you would want, stable economy, beautiful beaches. You also had across the Gulf, you had Mount Olympus. So you had the mountain view there. I mean, this is a place anyone would want to live. Gorgeous place, a city of influence and power, wealth and beauty. You name it, the city had it. It was called the crown jewel of Macedonia. And this is where Paul went to start this church. And these were brand new Christians who who just found out about Jesus Christ. They had been discipled by Paul for about three weeks, and Paul was sent away for his own safety. And the next thing we're going to see is Paul has some very, very kind words for this church. While they're facing adversity, the Jews around them are jealous of them. 
They're, they're coming from luxury and their lives are being changed completely. And Paul, simply put, can't get these people off his mind. He keeps thinking about this church. So listen to what he says to them in the introduction to this letter. Verse 2. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because of our gospel came to you not only in word but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you. So people heard, they heard about the mob. And how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. They did not let the adversity get to them. That did not phase them. They turned from idols to the living God. Verse 10, and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. So what made these people so attractive and so unforgettable to Paul that he could not keep them out of his mind? Paul knows he left them in a dicey situation. He's constantly bringing them up in his prayers. So he decides to write an encouraging letter to these people. I love this. This is what Christians should always be doing. I had a pastor mentor of mine once tell me that if you think of something more than twice, if you have that thought more than twice, you should say something about it and tell that person. Give them a compliment. Encourage them. That's what we see in the New Testament, in the New Testament church, and this is what we should all be doing. If you think it more than twice, Go up, and go up to them and say, hey, you know what? Thanks for that word. Thanks for that song. Thanks for, you know, hey, that's a, that's a really great thing that you're doing. Like, keep it up. Like, praise the Lord for that. Like, encourage people. We cannot miss this. Praise is an essential ingredient in the life of any Christian. Paul knows this, and he knows that it's important to build up these new believers. Last Sunday, uh, we were going home, you know, it was the new year. We had a really busy weekend and um, there was a couple people still left at church. We were like, oh, let's go to Culver's. And it just so happened that Becca, Becca and Kinsley were still here. They babysit our kids all the time. I was like, hey, ladies, come with us to Culver's. So we went to Culver's and we were at Culver's. It was the new Culver's in Duncan, slam packed full of people. Uh, it's a great restaurant, right? But it was just, we were waiting a really long time for our food, we were, but we were having a good time. And you know what? We noticed this young worker. This kid had to have been like, maybe he was 16, but he, he looked younger than 16, all right? And this Culver's was just, there was hardly any tables left. But we all noticed how hard of a worker this kid was. 
And I was pointing it out to my sons because it's like, hey, Beckham, notice this kid, Paxson? Look at this guy. Like, he's working hard. He's earning his money. This kid is a great example. And we were talking about that. And Becca was like, you know what? I'm going to tell his manager. And, and, we, and I tried to compliment the kid. I didn't quite get it to him. He was just hustling and bussing tables and doing all this work. But, but I made sure, me and Becca both made sure, like, let's go tell the manager how hard this kid is working, how good he's doing. It's a great thing as a Christian to encourage people to, to just lift people up by our words. It's very simple, but it's, it's so important. And this is what Paul is doing. So this letter, 1 Thessalonians, I have good news for you. This is not like a litany of problems going on in Corinth where we have to address all of these issues in the church. This isn't like the church of Galatia, which has like false doctrine creeping in where Paul has to correct that. This isn't even a teaching letter like Colossians or Ephesians, where there's a lot of doctrinal teaching being, being laid out. This is an encouraging letter to a group of young Christians who Paul is very impressed with, who are, who are close to Paul's heart. And Paul is complimenting them, and here he is reminding them, as he compliments them, he's reminding them why they stand out. Why have things gone so well? Let me point out to you why. So let's go back to that question. What made these people so attractive and so unforgettable? There's three key reasons in this text. And Paul is going to build this out as the letter goes on, but he lays out all three like any good lawyer Like Paul always does this. He lays out his outline for us in verse 3. Did you catch it? What he was praying about? Verse 3 says, Remembering before our God and Father, your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Those are the three things that the Thessalonians had. So the first way that you endear yourself to someone and stand out making a difference for Jesus Christ is having this characteristic of what I'm going to call number one, creative faith. Creative faith. Now, my translation says work of faith, right? Maybe your translation says something a little different, but what is this? Because faith by definition isn't something you do. It's not a work. Of course not. Faith is something you believe. So some translations will say work produced by faith. Anybody have a translation that says work produced by faith? You could raise your hand if you do. I know there's some of you that have this. Okay, great. Don't be shy. I mean, uh, I honestly think that's a more clear translation than the translation I preached from the ESV. Um, I saw some of you Generation Xers out there with your NIVs holding up your hand. Um, That translation outdid the millennial ESV translation. I even saw a few Generation Z uh, raising your hand, and you have the CSB, the Christian Standard Bible, who also translates it the same way the NIV does. So good for you, Generation Xers and Generation Z. You got us on the, you got the millennials on this one. That's a good translation. I'm I'm kidding, of course. Like, this is kind of a, a church joke, but you get the point. Different translations are going to be slightly different. They all mean the same thing. And I actually really do like the ESV and the CSB in this because it is a work that is produced by faith. Paul isn't saying that their faith was their own work. That would be a contradiction of the gospel. 
Obviously, this isn't saving faith that he's referring to. Saving faith is in a category of its own. It's the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's not in any list, okay? That's, that's how you found Christ. The faith that Paul is commending them for is an active faith that performs and produces fruit. That's what was going on here. And work is, in the original, it's, it's a work that is created by faith. So faith for them was not just a verse hanging up on the wall in their home. It wasn't just printed on a graphic t-shirt. Their faith wasn't even just showing up to church on Sunday when it fits into my busy schedule. That's not what their faith was. It was a total commitment to believe in their wonder-working God who would just save them out of darkness. And I'm using the word creative here in this outline because I think it best captures the idea of what this really looks like. When you are passionate about something and you are in love with something and something is, is stirring your heart, what do you do? You get creative with it, right? You start a podcast. <laughs> you, you start a YouTube channel. You, you write a book about it. I don't know. You, there's all kinds of things. When we really care about something and it stirs us up and we're into it, we have to share it creatively. We get the word out. God is a creator. He created us in his image to be little creators. And so when we, by, by faith, live out the gospel, and we share our testimony of what Jesus has done for us, we get creative and passionate about sharing that with others. People who are in love with what they do get so good at it and so passionate about it that they sometimes create something new with it, right? I think about this with an athlete, Michael Jordan. He was so good at the game of basketball. He, he, it was like an art form to him, right? They had to create rules because he, he played the game a new way. He inspired people to play the game a new way. Shaquille O'Neal, they added rules like the three-second violation in the lane in 2001 they, because nobody could stop Shaq. They, he, he was playing the game in a way that no one had ever played it before, and they couldn't stop him. So when you love something and you care about something and you're great at something, it gets creative. And that's what the Thessalonians were doing. That's what Paul is talking about here. My question for you, is that true of you and your faith? We heard, we heard an amazing testimony here in our baptismal service with Ethan. Ethan's passionate about sharing Christ. I know a lot of you are, but I also know it's very easy to grow cold, to drift off, and to lose that hunger and that passion. Look again at verses 5 through 9 and listen to Paul as he motivates his beloved and sisters by reminding them of who they are. And, and when, I, when I talk about this, I'm not saying you need to change the rules. <laughs> like, you're, of course, we're talking about the gospel now. You can't change that. I'm just saying be passionately creative about loving people and showing your faith. But verse five, again, says, because our gospel came to you, not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction, you know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. 
And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you may become an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Their reputation was spreading and it all started by being chosen by God. That's what verse five says. And this is true of everyone who's in here who knows Jesus Christ as their savior. If you've repented of your sin and turned by faith, to the cross of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and you receive forgiveness of your sin, you have redemption. You are loved. You've been chosen. And the word was received with joy, even despite the affliction. And now these people are sharing their faith. And people know, wow, this is faith that's alive. Those people were, were worshiping idols, and now they, they, they worship and serve the true God. So here's where taking this truth in is so important because we can all fall asleep. We can all get distracted. We can listen to our doubts and our fears. And when we are not focused and we're not remembering our true identity in Christ, any single one of us can grow cold. Any single one of us can. So the question you need to ask yourself is, is my faith alive? Is my faith inspiring me to create and bear fruit? Here's another question for you. How do you slip into this place of lethargy? How does that happen to a Christian? I'm going to put a quote up on the screen. I think it's simply this. Sometimes we get in our own head, right? You have to stop believing everything you think and feel and believe the truth of God's word. It's so important. Not everything you think is accurate. <laughs> we're all fallen, right? We're not, we're not glorified yet. Not everything you feel in your fallen state is accurate. You have to go back to the word of truth, the word of God. Who, who does God say you are? What does God say about his chosen children? That's truth. So stop believing everything you think and focus on the truth. I have talked to amazing Christians, talented, gifted followers of Christ. And sometimes when I hear them talk, when they're in that valley, it breaks my heart. I don't feel good enough. I can't do it. I feel like a failure. Does that sound like anything you hear about your description of who you are and your identity of Christ? Is that what God tells you? You're not good enough? Who says that? That's the enemy. That's, that's, that's a lie. If you're in Christ, you may not be good enough, but guess what? Your life is hidden with Christ in God. You have, the, you have the power of the Holy Spirit living inside of you. So who in the world is telling you you're not good enough if you have Christ in you? You can do things that are way beyond you, way beyond your own power, because you have the Holy Spirit. 
Don't compare yourself to other people. This is another way that people get in their own head, they get distracted and they grow cold. Comparing yourself is never going to help. You're in Christ, and that's where you find grace and peace. You're not a failure because your life is hidden with Christ. The Holy Spirit indwells you. So this letter was written to the church of Thessalonica, absolutely, but it's also written to you because this is the New Testament church. It's for every believer, and you have to personalize this. The Thessalonians imitated Paul, Silas, and Timothy, who were imitating Christ. And sometimes we don't like that. We get a little uncomfortable with that. Like, ooh, I'm not supposed to imitate anybody. Listen, if, if that person is imitating Christ, they can point you to Christ. And that's a good thing. That was never a problem with Paul in all of his New Testament churches. But Paul didn't put the focus on him. He put the, put the spotlight directly back on Jesus Christ. And he pointed them to Christ every single time. So the Thessalonians had creative faith, and we can all imitate that. Here's the second way that these young believers stood out. Number two, labor of love. This word Paul uses is a little different than the word that we saw of work in the first point. Labor is like intense work. It's hard toil, energy expended. It's just... It's just extra, okay? A labor of love. They loved, so they did hard things. They loved, so they sacrificed. Kind of like parents who labor for their children. Moms wake up early. Dads wake up early. They solve problems. They identify issues before they even become problems, right? Because you're a parent and you love your child. Same thing with teachers in school. That's a labor of love. It, well, it isn't always, but it, it should be, and it, and, it, and it is a lot of times. It's a beautiful thing to see when teachers do that, when good teachers do that for their students. Being in the ministry, that should be a labor of love. If it's not, you're not going to last long. I actually talked with a friend of mine. His name is Mark Doss. He pastors a church in Topeka, Kansas. This is the church we were at before we went to, uh, to get training to, to plant a church. And he started his church 25 years ago in Topeka, Kansas. And this is their anniversary Sunday. And I gave him a call this week. And I just pointed out to him, I just wanted to, I wanted to follow this passage, right? I wanted to encourage him. And I pointed out to him this specific point in 1 Thessalonians 1. Like, as a pastor, I know Mark went through a lot of really hard things. I remember as a youth pastor on staff underneath him, seeing the hard things he went through. You don't do all that stuff if you're in it for yourself. You don't last 25 years as a pastor or a teacher or a parent for that matter. But you don't do that if your motivation is, I want to prop myself up. I want people to look at me and think how good and spiritual I am. It, it won't last that way. And I pointed out, this is a labor of love that was inspired and motivated, Mark, by what God did for you. Thank you for your testimony and thank you for your example. There are two false motivations that mask themselves as labor of love. And I've seen both of these before. First one is, if you are doing good work for people's applause. Sometimes that can look like a labor of love, but 
really they're just doing it so people can look at them. Number two, you are counseling, you're having people over, you're putting yourself out there to make yourself look good and feel spiritual. So either you're doing it for yourself to prop yourself up or you're doing it so other people can look at you and go, oh, wow, look at them. Both of those motivations, even though they can look good on the surface for a while, you have to be aware of. You have to be warned about that, please. Because if the person can't get out of the way and let the Holy Spirit work, there's a problem. If the person keeps putting themselves on the pedestal, keeps inserting themselves into the situation, and they don't give you space to breathe and to grow in your own relationship with Christ, chances are there's some motivational heart issues that are a little off there. And that's not for me to know. That's just for you to internalize and to take to the Lord yourself. Verse 4 again, look at this. This, is, this sentence is the glue that holds this entire paragraph together. Verse 4, for we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. Paul is reminding them, hey, this is where it's all coming from. You were chosen by God. He loves you. When you know God loves you, you love people. If you feel today like you just can't trust people, that your mind is filled with doubts, if you're wondering, is it really worth it doing all of this stuff? Do I really need to bend over backwards for these ungrateful people, these spoiled kids over here, this person that I work with, whoever that is? Here's what you need to remember. God loved you. He chose you. He sent his son Jesus to die for you. You were his enemy. You were unlovely apart from Christ. But God commends his love towards you. When you see how much God loves you, then you want to share his love with others. That's a labor of love. And here's a very important piece with all of this. This is what separates feel-good religion from real faith. It's what I've been talking about, the driving motivation. Is it a labor of love or is it a labor of my platform? Is it a labor of love or is it a labor of pleasing people? And this is the truth that you cannot miss. Write this down if you need to. God wants you to become someone more than he wants you to achieve something. It's about your heart at the end of the day. God wants you to become someone more than he wants you to achieve something. God is going to work. He's going to provide. He, he will continue to be faithful. He is going to accomplish his will. It's really up to us if we get to get on board and enjoy that and participate in that or not. I was a camp counselor for one summer. And uh, it was at a Christian camp in North Carolina. It was an awesome summer. I had a blast doing it. But there was somebody who told me before I had that first week, before that first cabin of, uh, of high school boys came into, my, came into my life that I was going to do everything with for a week, he, remi- he, he said something, and it reminded me of when I was a, ca- a kid at camp. Because I, I went to camp for a few years as well. And he said, these kids won't remember what you say, but they will remember how you made them feel. Took a lot of pressure off. 
It's like, okay, I don't have to say everything perfect because do I remember everything my camp counselor told me when I was in high school? No, I don't remember all those things. But I do remember how they made me feel. If, if they loved me, I knew it. If they actually genuinely cared for me, I could feel that. That's really what matters here. People know if they are loved or not. It's undeniable. And even if someone gets offended, they get bent out of shape, they could even get mad at you. But if you know that you loved them, your conscience is clear. And it will be all right. Loving people is not doing a bunch of sacrificial things to build your platform and make yourself look good. That's not a labor of love. You can fool people. It can go undetected for a while. But if the heart is self-promotion, frustration will build and offense will be taken. And I want to say one more thing about this. I know I've spent a lot of time on this. But here's the triggering word. If you don't have this labor of love, it's, it's not coming from the right heart motivation. There is a word, it's a triggering word, that's going to creep in. It's the word used. Now, I'm purely in the applicational point of this right now, okay? Like, this is, this is something that I've thought about as I've prayed over this text um, this week. But if you're doing something out of love, and I know there's a lot of layers to this, so I want to be careful here on this. Please, please hear what I'm really saying. But if you truly love someone and you're doing something for someone, even if they take it for granted, you're not going to feel used because you did it for the right reason. Now, you may have people come to you and point out to you, hey, you know what? All these things you're doing, I think that person is using you. If someone else comes to you and says that, well, you should listen. You should receive that. Take it to the Lord. Think through that. But if you yourself are genuinely out of the right heart motives, serving someone, sacrificing for someone, even if they're taking it for granted, I don't think you're going to feel used. Just think about that. So if someone is like, I've been used, now maybe you're right. Maybe you're right. I don't know every situation. All I'm pointing out here is, usually if the person is really <coughs> bent out of shape and offended and there is a broken relationship because of that, it might tell you a hint about your motivation to begin with, where that was coming from. Because the labor of love, it really doesn't matter how, if they receive it or not. I'm doing this because God loves me and I can't help but show his love to someone else. It's coming out of that motive. When God loves you and when you feel that, you will radiate his love. And again, can we be used sometimes by people? Yeah, but at the end of the day, God still used it, right? God still used it, so we don't even have to worry about it. No skin off my back. It's all right, I did the right thing. Now, sometimes you can correct, and like if that person is going to really take it for granted, then you can move on, right? I'm not saying you, don't, you, don't, you have to keep subjecting yourself to that, but just think through your heart motivation. Is it a labor of love? Number three, the third characteristic here from verse three is steadfast hope. 
Some translations say your endurance is inspired by hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. Steadfastness, what a great word. It means patient endurance. And hope here is always in the New Testament, it's confident expectation. Do you see how these two things come together? Member of this church, believer who's here joining us for worship, everyone who knows Jesus Christ, you are loved by God. He knows you. He has a plan for you. And the more you meditate on that truth, your heart is full of grace and peace. In the midst of adversity, you could have the Jewish people stirring up a crowd and getting a mob together. They could hate you. They could be jealous of you. They could say wrong things about you that aren't even true. But you know what you can have in verse 6? You can have joy. You're abiding in Christ. The Holy Spirit is indwelling you. We've been talking about all these things for a month now. But when you mix all that together, you don't get shook. You don't give up and you don't hide. You are confident and bold and steadfast. You take a stand and you stand out. That person is different. Wow. That's what was going on with the Thessalonians. That was their testimony. It's all because you rest in Christ and you abide in Christ and your confidence is in Christ. Worship team, you can come up right here. In this first chapter, Paul is writing to these people who he can't get off his mind. They were together for three weeks, but he couldn't shake them. They have a bond. They love Christ. And this opening chapter is all about the assurance of who they are. It's an encouraging chapter. It's an encouraging word. Even when your past is painful and your present situation is uncertain, your future is bright in Jesus Christ. When you are saved and you know it, you're different. You're confident. Do you want to be this type of Christian? We all do, right? We all do. This is the type of Christian who loves so well it's undeniable. They love so well, people actually look to Christ and they think about, whoa, that's different. And they actually get a true picture of Jesus Christ. The only way that you actually can be that type of Christian is to repeat these same three things that we see right here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. And look again at verse 9. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Would you stand up with me? This message is very simple. We saw three characteristics. We see three things that that we all want, that we all desire. We see three things that actually will move mountains, that will turn the world upside down. It's very, very common to underestimate what you can do 
in five years, in 10 years. And a lot of times, people not only underestimate what they can do over a sustained period of time, they overestimate what they can do in a short amount of time. So you think, okay, this is the year. 2023, this is my year. I'm gonna do all this stuff. I'm gonna change the world in 2023. And then it doesn't happen. Because you bit off more than you can chew. You, you tried to do too much too fast. You overestimated what you can do in one year while you underestimated what you could do in five years, in six years, in seven years, in eight years, in nine years, in 10 years, in 20 years. Faithfully serving Christ, being this type of Christian, will produce fruit. You will endear people not only to you, but to Jesus Christ, more importantly. And if there's one of these areas where you need to spend some time and talk to God about that you need to grow in, we're going to sing in a second, but I want to challenge you right now to just talk to the Lord about it. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, this is a perfect time. There's never been a better time in your life than right now to repent of your sin and turn to Jesus Christ. You can have all these things we're talking about, all these gifts, all this grace, Believe me, you want it. You need it. And if you're, if you're a Christian who's grown cold, who's, who's been preoccupied with all of the other problems and afflictions and people, just look to Christ. Thanks for listening to this message from God's Word. If you have any questions about the topic of this sermon, or if you would like someone to follow up with you about applying this to your life, please reach out to us at info at doxaupstate.church. You are loved.